moment we are in a series throughout the book of Titus. And now, just for a little bit of context, just in case you've missed the last couple of weeks, the book of Titus, or rather the letter that's written to Titus, is a letter from Paul, written to Titus, as I've just said, who is his protege. See, Paul and Titus, they had a job together. They had to go to an island which is south of like modern-day Asia and Greece called Crete. And they had to go there and bring the gospel. Now, the word liar actually derived from the word Crete. So you can imagine what kind of people these were that Paul and Titus had to go and share the gospel with. They were known for their immorality, their destruction, their lies and deception and things like that. So Paul and Titus were there in Crete and then Paul had to go and do other missionary work and left Titus to do his work there. And while Paul was gone, Paul has written a letter to Titus and this is that letter. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 3 this week. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up if that's on your phone or a physical Bible. Uh, it's in the New Testament towards the end of the, um, the Bible. So open that up, Titus chapter 3. It says... Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, but... When the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Titius to you, do your best to come to Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Yeah, God, what a joy, privilege and pleasure it is to come before your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the power that um, you have put in your word. Lord, they are your words. And God, we pray... As we, as we are here this morning, that we would not only be hearers of your word, but doers of it. Lord, would you come through your Holy Spirit in power, move through us, and speak through me this morning. 
And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. On the screen, there is a photo of me. Very cute. This is me in primary school. I went to a, a school on the south side of Brisbane called Redlands College, and uh, this, I, I think this is about grade two. So I would have been seven or eight, and I know because in grade three I had my two front teeth. In grade two, I wouldn't have had my two front teeth. So grade two. In junior school, I was a very, very, very shy and timid girl. I still am, really. But my goal back then was to just please other people. I wanted, to, I wanted to please others. I wanted to be the best at everything that I did. I would go out at lunchtime and I'd race the boys just to make sure that I was still a little bit faster than them. And then I'd go to the library and I'd read my book and I'd, I'd do my homework early so that I'd have it done, wouldn't have to do it at home. I was a teacher's pet. I reckon I was the definition of a teacher's pet. I was so scared of getting into trouble as well. But the one time in all of junior school that I got sent to our responsible thinking classroom <laughs> was in grade two. Little innocent me. So one day I was in the girls' bathrooms and my friends, two of my friends were talking to this girl from an older grade. And I was like, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing talking to her? We don't, we don't know her um, very well. I think she went to the church that we all went to um, at, in primary school. But other than that, we didn't really know this girl. So I went over to see what was going on. And when I went over there, I realised that my friends, they were actually not being very nice to this girl. And when this happened, I, I was struck with the decision to make. Do I follow my friends, my friends who I know and love and trust and are otherwise very beautiful Christian little seven-year-olds? Or do I walk away and, and do I not follow them? And in this moment, I did what was totally out of character for me at the time. I actually chose to join in and to participate and to be mean to this girl as well. And when this girl, after lunch, came into our classroom to dob on us, <laughs> and she pointed to the three of us that were involved, I will never forget the look on my teacher's face. She stood me up, not the other girls, me. She said, Ashley, you stand up. And I had to stand up in front of the whole class and she pointed at me and she said, Ashley, I am so disappointed that you are involved in this. Oh, it broke my heart. But the thing that I remember the most was actually my confusion with myself. Why did I do that? Why did I do something that I never would have otherwise done? I acted so out of character. I think the reality is that we actually all have stories like this. We all have times in our lives where we are acting out of character and we look back and we think, why on earth did I do that? I don't understand myself and why I made that decision. Sometimes these things, they're very public. 
like me with uh, the teacher at school, uh, this girl at school, it could be in front of your workmates, could be gossiping um, about a workmate or a client when they leave the room. And sometimes it's also very private. It's a thought in your head, a lie that you tell yourself to justify a, a behaviour, judgment towards others, or maybe a sin that you do in secret. See, this out-of-character behaviour, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's obvious, but I know for me anyway, it always leaves me feeling full of guilt and frustration at myself. Why? Why did I do it? And you see, the reality is that we, as Christians, we have been called to live a certain way. Because as Christians, we, we have been made new through Jesus. We have been given new life. We have been made a new humanity. And this life that we live, it's actually expected to be changed. We should act differently. We should think differently. We should be different to how we used to be. Paul reminds Titus of what this can look like in verses 1 to 2. If you have your Bibles, you can have a look. He tells Titus to remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. That is who we are called to be in Christ. But how often do we leave here on a Sunday and go to work on Monday or school on Monday and we think, you know what, today I'm going to be this person. I'm going to be obedient to my boss. I'm going to be ready to do whatever is good. Not often. Not often. But the biggest problem here is not the behaviour in and of itself, but it's actually the effect that this behaviour has on those around us. And this is why Paul stresses these things so much in the book of Titus. The problem Paul saw in Crete is that those who claimed to be followers of Jesus lived an immoral and a dishonest lifestyle. And because they did that, they were tainting the good news of the gospel and they were tainting the person and the work of Jesus. And they were doing this because they were misrepresenting what the gospel was and who Jesus is to those around them through their behaviour and their actions. This is the issue that, Paul, uh, that Titus and Paul saw in Crete. And this is still just as much a problem today. Claiming to love and to follow Jesus but not living that out, it can taint the gospel, it can taint the person of Jesus and it misrepresents them to those around you. But now I know none of us, none of us set out in our day to do this purposely. So why do we do it? Why do we still live so out of character with who we have become? And now Paul actually wants Titus to explore this question. And if you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 3. And he says, now Titus, Remember who you once were. At one time, you and me, you, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Titus, you and I, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is who we once were. This is who Paul and Titus once were. They were foolish, 
which means they were without spiritual understanding. They were disobedient, which relates to their standing towards God. They had no spiritual understanding and therefore they rejected God as God. They didn't listen to his teachings and they disobeyed his way of life. They were deceived, which relates to their standing with other humans. Because they rejected God as God, they put man in his place. Humans were the ultimate authority. Humans were the ruler. And because of that, they were deceived by by human thought, human teaching, human words. And they were enslaved, which relates to their, their own standing within themselves. Because humans were ultimate authority, the person that they listened to the most, that they placed on the throne as king in their lives, was themselves. They were their own king. They lived to serve the king. Their life was lived to satisfy and please themselves, and in doing though, they were enslaved to their own passions, pleasures, and desires. And what does this way of life result in? Antisocial behaviours, a society that cannot function together due to malice and envy, and a world full of hated people that hate people. And you see this combination of experiences that people encountered, they were actually well known in, in the Greek world at that time and in Greek ethics in their context. The Greek, they knew that this was the way they lived. They knew they were their own king and they celebrated it most of the time. But more than that, this is Paul and this is Titus's reality before they met Christ. This was the reality of the city of Crete where Paul and Titus were being sent and this was you and this was me before we knew Christ and were saved and made new. But still... Paul sees fit to remind Titus of this reality. And he wants to remind Titus of this because it is so easy for us to slip back into this, to slip back into our old way of living. And it often starts with the most subtle amount of pride and self-indulgence. It's why I, in grade two, did what I did because I I watched my friends and I decided that I would rather fit in with them. I would rather look good to them. I would rather serve myself than do the right thing. It is so easy to be disobedient, deceived and enslaved, to be who we once were. And this is why we often act out of character. Over the past two weeks, I've been, or not the whole time, but I've been on holidays and for a certain amount of time in there over the New Year's period, I went to a little town south of Sydney called Berry. And if you've been to Berry, I'm sure you love Berry. Everyone who's been to Berry loves Berry. And Berry's where Carlton, my husband, where his family all live. So we try and go down semi-regularly to visit them. And Carlton, unfortunately, was working, so he couldn't come. But I went with his mum, and we had a great time. It's a little country town. There's mountains on one side, and then there's the beach right on the other. It's actually beautiful. There's a donut van, the famous donut van. I didn't visit the donut van this year. Excuse me. When we finished our holiday, I had to drive from Berry back to Sydney to where our hire place was and it's near the airport 
And usually that would be pretty simple because his family, they, they do it 100 times. They, they know where to go. And I was driving and I thought, I'll just, I'll just follow my mother-in-law's directions, that's fine. But just in case, I'll put up Apple Maps. Because when, when does that ever go wrong? <laughs> so I got my phone and I put up the maps and I'm following it. Took a wrong turn, that was my own fault. I wasn't, I wasn't watching. But then again, I indicated and I turned down a road and then um, Carlton's mum just went, no, no, no. And I was like, what, what? She's like, that's the wrong way, wrong way, wrong way, turn around. But we were on a highway. Like, I could not turn around at this point. And I thought, that's fine, that's actually okay because I've got my maps and it will tell me where to go. It will, uh, it will direct me. And it does when your phone's not dead. <laughs> I looked down and I realised my phone wasn't dead, but it was on 10% battery. And it was very quickly going down. My phone loses its battery multiple times a day. So it was just draining the battery. And I thought, oh no, where? I'm in this city that I don't know, on a road that neither of us knows, with a phone that's about to stop working, what are we going to do? If my phone dies, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We might miss our flight. We wouldn't miss our flight. We were like five hours early or something. So, <laughs> so that would have been fine. But I, we, we would have been in trouble, to say the least. And now I'm pleased to say my phone didn't die. Crisis was averted. We did make it. I pulled up in front of the hire car place, maybe with 1% or 2% battery left, which I then used to try and find a petrol station because I forgot to fill up the car. But either way, it was a stressful situation. It was stressful for me. The whole time, I was just thinking, why? Why didn't I think to myself, my phone is prone to, to death. Um, I, need, I need a charger. I need to plug it in. See, I couldn't connect to the power source. And it nearly cost us the ability of knowing where I was going and how to get there. And the longer that I went without this power source, the lower the battery got and the more stressful the situation became. And see, we are quite similar to that. We need to be connected to a power source as well in order for us to know where we are going and to know how to get there. And the longer that we, that we go without our power source, the more our battery drains, and the more stressful the situation becomes. See, we are called to be a new humanity. We are called to live a life that is not characterised by hatred or antisocial behaviours, but we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do it on our own strength. We cannot do it on our own power. We need to be connected to a power source. And this power source, like my phone, it will give us life. It will help us stay on the path that we need to take. It will guide us where we need to go and tell us how to get there. And this power source, it is the key to living the life that is in character with the person that we have become in Jesus. The power source is the key to living the life that is in character with the person we have become in Jesus. 
So what exactly is this power source? Paul writes in verses 4 to 7, it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, that but is important because it distinguishes who they once were and what is happening now. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is our power source. God, the truth of what he has done for you, that is what our power source is. Because of his kindness and his love, the king and the creator of the universe humbled himself as a baby to come on earth to save us. He has saved us not because of anything we have done or will do or haven't done and won't do because he is merciful. He is kind and he is a loving father who loves his children. And this is good news because it means no one is disqualified, has ever been disqualified or will ever be disqualified from being able to experience God's love because it doesn't have to do with us. God's love has to do with him. And he saved us through the cleansing of our sin, making us new and continually renewing us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this also means that because we have the Holy Spirit, God never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He is our power source there always. Because we are no longer slaves to sin rejected by God, we have been welcomed into his family as heirs. Heirs with an assured hope of God one day renewing and restoring the world to himself, where there will be no more sin and no more suffering. So how do we stay connected to this power source? There are many things I could tell you here. I could say, spend time with other believers, go to church, be reminded through them. I could say spend time in the word, pray, be with God, and they are all very good things and they do keep us connected to the power source and we should be doing them. But Paul here speaks to something in particular and I want to, I want to speak to that too. Paul says to Titus, remain connected to the power source. You need to remind the people in verses 1 to 2 of who they are, in verse 3 of who they were, and verse 4 to 7, of the love and kindness and power of God. So we as the people, we should allow ourselves to be reminded of, of these things. Who we are, who we were, and who God is. Remind yourself of who you once were. Remember the transformation that has happened within you because of the love and the mercy of God. This is what Paul is counselling Titus through here reminding him of his journey with God. And he's, he's doing this because those who, who actually appreciate their freedom, their newness of life, their new humanity the most, is those who understand the fullness of their slavery in their previous life. I don't know about you, but when I remember who I once was, particularly as, as a teenager, 
And I remember that God came to me then as that person and he saved me as that person and brought me out of that and transformed me radically. It freshly reminds me of the power of our great God. It reminds me of God's power. It also gives me compassion and generosity towards other people. It helps me to love them the way God calls me to. This is our power source, the transforming love of God. And the more that we are plugged in to that power source, the more that we can function and outpour as people who have been transformed, the more that we can live the life that God has called us to live. And now this, this life that God's called us to live, this call to stay connected to the power source, It's not just a a call or a command to, to do good just for the sake of doing good. You've been changed, do good. No. This is Paul's missionary strategy. After reminding Titus of who he is, who he once was, and who God is, in verse 8, Paul says to Titus, this The gospel, it is trustworthy. And you know that it is trustworthy because you know the change that has happened in your heart. You were once dead, but you are now alive through the transforming love of God. So stress these things. Stress the transforming love of God to others. Stress the power of our God. Stress the love and the kindness of our God so that those who have trusted in him may be careful to devote themselves to doing good. Why? Because these things are excellent, they are profitable, not just for you or for me, but for everyone. Do good because it is excellent and profitable for everyone. This is God's missionary strategy. Do good. Live in character with your new self because that's what will further the gospel. Paul knew that Christian behaviour, in character behaviour, in contemporary style uh, society, was and is of utmost importance in the furtherance of the gospel. We want the gospel to go further. We want to reach other people with the, with the truth and the love and the hope of Jesus then we need to live a life that is in character with how he transformed us. Paul knew that it was of utmost importance because he saw the destruction of those who lived otherwise. He saw the the destruction of an island, a city, that claimed to love Jesus, yet didn't live that out. You want people around you to know the power of Jesus? Show them that power. The power of Jesus has changed you, so live like the power of Jesus has changed you. Live as the changed person that you are. And the best news is you don't have to do that on your own strength. You actually can't. We need to be plugged in and connected to the power source. And when we are doing that, it is God who will work through you and work through your obedience, and work through your patience and your gentleness to others. It is spirit-empowered faithfulness to Jesus that will declare God's grace to the world. It is spirit-empowered faithfulness to Jesus that will declare God's grace to the world.
You are an agent of transformation. The way that you live your life, it matters. Devote yourselves to doing what is good because it is excellent and profitable for everyone. Titus was called to this island of Crete as one man, one agent of transformation there to an entire city. It would have felt and seemed like the most impossible task. Yet his spirit-empowered faithfulness to God through doing good and living as an agent of transformation in his community, through doing that, God moved in power in that city. You are called to be an agent of transformation in your community. Where you work, with your co-workers, with your customers, where you study or go to school, where you live with your neighbours, your family, even here in this church, we are called to be agents of transformation. And maybe sometimes this feels like the most giant and impossible task. How could I, as one person, ever make a difference? But it's not you doing the work. You are the agent of the transformation that has happened within your own heart and your own life. You are a living and walking testimony of the power and the love and the kindness of God and it is him that will do the work through you, through your faithfulness, to reach and move in power to those in your community around you. You have been called where you are placed. You have been called to that space and the way that you live there matters. You are an agent of transformation there. And you have the power to share the transforming love with others simply through how you live, how you live through your obedience, your readiness to do good, through the way that you praise and encourage others rather than slander them, through your peaceable nature, your consideration and gentleness, through the fruits of the Spirit, that grow in us as we remain connected to the power source. I want to invite the band to come up now and we're, we're going to do communion together. And I just want to ask before we do that, does everyone have a communion element with them? And if not, can you put your hand up so that we can come round? We're going to spend some time now actually practicing and meditating on these things that Paul walks Titus through, which helps him stay connected to the power source. We're going to spend some time remembering who we are in Christ, remembering who we once were, and remembering who God is and his power and his mercy in our lives. I'm going to read some verses over us to remind us of who we are in Christ, then we're going to spend some time quietly and I want you to reflect on who you once were. And in that, I don't want you to feel down or guilt or anything like that because God saved you out of that. But I want you to thank Jesus for what he's done in your life. After we do that, we're going to eat the bread together. Then I'm going to read from Titus about the power of God and then we'll drink the cup together and we're going to sing in response. So, this is who you are in Christ. I am chosen by God who called me out of darkness of sin and into the light and life of Christ so I can proclaim the excellence and greatness of who he is.
just from 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This is who you are in Christ. I am born again, spiritually transformed, renewed and set apart for God's purpose through the living and everlasting word of God. It's 1 Peter 1.23. I am God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works that he has prepared in advance for me to do. Ephesians 2.10. I am a co-heir with Christ, Romans 8.17. I am more than conqueror through him who loves me, Romans 8.37. That is who you are in Christ. I want you to spend some time quietly reflecting now on who you once were, not through for condemnation, but to thank God for his power and his transformation. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's eat together. Now, this is what God has done. This is who he is and the power of the gospel. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is the power of the gospel. Then Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. I pray, dear God, I just want to thank you, Lord, as, as we sit here now in your presence, reflecting on your power, your mercy and your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that you saved us out of who we once were. Lord, we thank you that you transformed us, that your power is real. And God, we know it's real because of our own lives. God, we just pray now that that as we continue to reflect on, on what you've done for us, on your power and your mercy, that we, it would bring us closer to who you are, more of an understanding of your grace, that we may remain plugged into you, God, so that we can be sent to our community. Lord, that we can be agents of transformation where you have sent us, God. We want to further the gospel in our place, Lord, and we can do that by just living in the reality of who you have made us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.